Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Delian, thanks for taking some time to join me on the podcast, mate. Uh, it's a pleasure, Owen. Glad to be here. We, uh, we tried to record one of these before, and um, let's just say we had some technical difficulties. So I'm super <laughs> excited to have you on the show, uh, not only to introduce yourself, but also to talk about a company that is really interesting because a lot of people probably think, oh, this sounds like a pretty boring old company, but it, it really isn't. So uh, I'm excited to get stuck into that. But why don't we start with given that you're new to the podcast, start with what you do day to day, in particular, what, what you do at Aorus. Thanks, Owen. And I'm, I'm stoked to be here. At Aorus, I actually just passed my one-year anniversary, uh, and I'm a senior analyst on the investment team, uh, scouring the world for, for high-quality businesses. Yeah, wonderful. So I think there's a bit of a backstory here because I know you have a, a technical background in like programming and software, 
how did you come to be an investor and, and do you think that technology background helps you? Yeah, so my father's a software engineer and it's something that I was very interested in in school. But uh, yeah, how did I come to be here? Look, I was quite privileged to start my financial career straight out of high school. Uh, so UBS, which is a large investment bank here, were offering cadetships. Uh, and for three years, I worked full time while I was studying full time, uh, which I wouldn't wish upon anyone. But that was wow. a great kickstart into the industry. So you worked well, nine to five and you studied full, full study load, like four units at the same time. I wish it were nine to five, more like seven to seven some days. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, you do tutorials and after work and then watch your lectures on the weekends. Wow. That's, I, and I thought I had it bad. That's, um, that's, a, that's a fair workload, mate. Um, so now, you, you know, you say you're a senior analyst. You've just clocked your, your, your one-year anniversary at Aorus. What are you doing specifically each day? Like I, I talked to a lot of portfolio managers. We've spoken to Stephen before. What do you actually do as a senior analyst at Aorus? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, one thing I love about this job is that every day is different. Uh, so at Aorus, we only invest in international businesses, uh, most of which report their financial results every quarter. So four months of the year are spent uh, you know, reading through result materials released by companies. And otherwise, at any given moment, I could be uh, you know, reading, writing research, just thinking speaking with companies or chatting with the rest of the team. Yeah, right. So Adioris, do you take your notes? Um, like if you're doing all this reading, do you take your notes and, and put it in a spreadsheet or do you just you store it and then do you present it to Stephen and the team? Is that how it works? We do write a lot of research internally. We find a lot of value in uh, penning your thoughts on paper and it's a record trail that you can hold yourself accountable to uh, if anything were to change in your investment thesis. But, uh, you know, equally, uh, you know, a lot of it's intangible IP and it's hard to put a value on the discussions we have in the office, but uh, obviously it's all conducive to making the right investment decisions. Yeah, for sure. And that's ultimately what everyone wants. It's what your clients want. It's what Absolutely. you want. Do you guys debate positions or do you, is it a very like friendly atmosphere when you're, when you're chatting about companies? I'd say we're very collegial and respectful. So unlike many fund managers, uh, the analysts don't pitch stocks to, uh, you know, come through into the fund. Oh, right. uh, instead, we're all along for the journey together, uh, you know, as stock makes its way through the research process and there are many discussion points along the way. Mm. Yeah, right. Okay. So I know with, I guess, your background with technology and programming that you have kind of that mind that, that kind of thinks logically and then it sounds kind of simplistic, but um, just in terms of, you know, I'm, I would say that I'm more of a packet monkey in terms of I just get the code out of the packet <laughs> and, and I just see if it works. Whereas I think you're a bit more advanced than I am, Delian. How do you think that kind of mindset and those, that skill set changes the way you think about investing and about companies? <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, Owen. <laughs> uh, I'd say even though they're very different disciplines, um, there's absolutely some parallels between programming and investing. Uh, so as you said, firstly, Programming involves extensive research. In many cases, I spend more time Googling for answers or reading documentation than actually writing code and working out the best way to do things. And then secondly, if you develop experience in programming, over time, you start developing kind of like this mental library of little bits of code that you can then reuse in future projects. And it's much the same in investing. When you look at a range of different businesses, over time, you develop different mental models of what works and what doesn't work in business and sort of the different paths to success. And you can apply that to, uh, you know, future decisions. I think that's such an interesting way to think about it. I never actually thought about it in terms of that 
scalability, and you use the word library, which is obviously a programming uh, term. But um, yeah, I never thought about it like that. How about just in terms of like looking at companies too? Do you think it gives you a better appreciation? I think we often find that companies employ a lot of buzzwords, machine learning, artificial intelligence, scale, you know, all of these different things. Just the kind of other investors, I guess, would probably miss because they don't have the, the finer technical knowledge. Do you think that's an advantage for you as well? Uh, look, on the Aurora's team, we're all uh, what we call generalist analysts. So we don't specialize in a given sector, which is the structure at many other funds. Uh, you know, we all look at businesses across a range of sectors. So it's not like I'm the tech specialist or someone else is the healthcare specialist. I've always had, uh, you know, a deep interest and fascination in technology. And as you said, it definitely helps keeping in touch with, with the jargon when you're looking at a tech business. Uh, much the same that one of my colleagues has a science background. So, uh, you know, when he's looking uh, at a healthcare business or a life sciences business, uh, you know, he can pick it up a lot more quickly than I can. But uh, in terms of whether it actually helps how you think about investing, I think that's more down to the individual personally than than what background they're from. And you're seeing that more and more in the industry is, uh, you know, firms looking for people from alternative backgrounds and, and a different perspective of investing. Uh, you know, I think the Bachelor of Commerce, it sort of pigeonholes you into a certain way of thinking uh, and, and breadth and thought is, is beneficial in this industry. For sure. You know, because you have, I know you always have a, this kind of high conviction approach. Yes. You know, you build long-term positions in companies. I imagine there's a lot of work that goes in long before a company makes it into the portfolio. How long would you say a position, like you guys are researching an average position before it's even considered for the portfolio? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said average because obviously it's case by case, Owen. You know, some businesses, just by their nature, simpler businesses. But we, we do talk about benefiting from a long gestation period. The longer you sit with a business and uh, understand what drives the business, uh, the more likely you are to make uh, a better, better and more informed decision. But I'd say on average, at, at least a few months. Uh, so if I think back to the most recent additions to the portfolio, we recently purchased Moody's, which is one of the largest credit rating agencies, and I'd researched the business for 12 months. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And, and this is a business you'd be familiar with because you've, you're in the finance profession, right? So that's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> they sell more to credit investors. Uh, we're obviously equity investors, but yeah, it's a name that you're all, it's a household name really, you'll all be familiar with. Yeah, especially those of us who kind of lived through the GFC or invested through it. That's a, yeah, we would all be familiar with credit rating agencies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, the, uh, but Moody's isn't the company for today that we're talking about, Dylan. We've actually got a company that we want to talk about with our listeners, and that is a company called Tractor Supply. And I know you and I have spoken about it before. Tractor Supply, it sounds like it does tractors. It sounds like it's creating or selling you know, farm farm equipment direct to farmers, including tractors. Is that is that how I can think about this or, or am I way off? Yeah, it's funny you asked that. It's probably the most common misconception with the business that it does tractors. <laughs> uh, look, it, it was founded in 1938 selling tractor parts by mail uh, to farmers. Uh, and today it's evolved into the largest rural retailer in the US uh, with 1,900 stores selling a very wide range of products to a, quite a diverse demographic. And um, we can talk a bit about what that actually means as well. Yeah, I think that's important because when I was doing my research on the business, I was like, surely this business is kind of like in a frail position. But I think there's you know, a, a genuine competitive advantage this business has in terms of how it serves its clients. And you know, some of the advantages it has might be like proximity to clients um, or customers. Sorry. So can you explain, I guess, just 
the overarching business model and how like it's different to other suppliers of these agricultural products and, and farming equipment? Yeah, sure. So I'd ask you to picture, you know, if you're a rural landowner or a hobby farmer in the US, uh, you need supplies for your property. So fencing and tools and feed for your animals and your pets. So you can drive out to six or seven different stores to get all these supplies, uh, or you can find everything you need uh, under one roof at Tractor Supply. It's quite an eclectic mix of merchandise, uh, but it saves their customers a lot of money. And in terms of what the stores look like, I'd picture a bit of a mini Bunnings. So it's the same warehouse format, uh, but you can, walk, you can walk in and find uh, everything you need in a convenient store layout. And with personal customer service as well. Uh, so you walk in and you're greeted by someone that's worked there for many years and knows your name and knows what projects you're working on uh, and really understands your needs. And that's very difficult for a big box retailer or an online retailer to replicate. Yeah, because it's it's a thing, right? In farming communities, you want to feel like you're getting you're getting personalized service because it is a community. And I imagine in those communities, it's really important that the people that are working there have a kind of culture that reflects, you know, that, that business it reflects those kind of values onto the customers. So did you did you get a chance to go to a tractor supply store? I know it's been COVID for a while and you've only been with the business, or well, not only, but you've been with ARS for 12 months. Is that how you kind of got a sense of that? Yeah, it's a great question, Owen. And uh, unfortunately, as you said, you know, we started researching the business when I joined Aorus uh, about a year ago now, but I uh, haven't had the opportunity to visit one of the stores. Uh, they do post some great videos just taking you through the store and the store layouts. And we do have a standing offer from the investor relations to do a store tour when uh, we get into a more normal time. But look, I, I think it's quite easy to appreciate these properties, even sitting here in Sydney. Uh, and I'm great. I'm glad you touched on culture because it really has been a key to success for Tractor Supply. Uh, they're really integral to these rural communities. They sponsor local fairs. Uh, in many cases, they're the employer of choice. Uh, in fact, the company likes to say they love hiring their own customers. Uh, you know, someone that uh, owns a ranch or has horses, there's no better person to serve customers with the same needs. For sure. And I think you get that at Bunnings here in Australia. If you think about Bunnings, I was in, mm. the, I was in the paint section uh, this week, Delian spending way too much money. And um, <laughs> the woman behind the counter knew so much about paint, right? And she was saying that she used this particular paint on her house. And it's, you trust, you, I think you immediately trust someone when they have that kind of shared experience. So that's, that's really interesting with Tractor Supply. So who do, they, who do they compete with? Who does Tractor Supply you know, go against in terms of the, the share of mind and, and wallet? It's a really good question. Uh, so they're by far the market leader in this niche of uh, rural stores. Uh, their nearest competitor is one-tenth of the size, uh, and they're actually in the process of acquiring them. It's this family-run chain of stores, uh, and Tractor Supply is in the process of acquiring that business. And then beyond that, they really compete with small local mum-and-pop stores who lack the same sophistication. Yeah, right. And so I think I, I remember going on the website, and there's like a big loyalty club as well, like effectively you're a way to follow tractor supply. I feel like at scale, that's a competitive advantage. Like I've got my power pass at Bunnings. This is what I keep bringing it back to. You can obviously see that I shop at Bunnings a lot. <laughs> that's um, a good parallel. <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, I get 5% off when I shop at Bunnings. So why would I go anywhere else? I feel like that's kind of like a similar kind of, I guess, logic behind that loyalty program. Yeah, they call it the Neighbours Club. And even the name is quite telling of, uh, you know, what sort of business they are and what they stand for. But they actually relaunched it quite recently. Before, uh, you know, it was just one club and everyone got the same benefits, but now they have different tiers based on spending. 
uh, really encouraging those those frequent visits uh, and and more customer loyalty. And you see that a lot, like with Costco in the in the US, even here in Australia, all around the world. Costco is a similar model, right? Like you pay for the for the right to shop. Absolutely, and once you have a membership, or once you reach a higher tier of of the neighbors club, then uh, you're, you're more incentivized to spend. Yeah. So okay. So here's a here's a question for you then. Uh, probably a bit of a harder one because a lot of our listeners would be familiar with retail companies that you know operate in Australia that might have a really tough time you know earning decent margins and I guess just fending off competition. So I guess there's two tough questions here on the comp- competitor front. Is you know what is it in essence that makes Tractor Supply stand out? Is it just the is it just the scale or is it the brand? Like what do you, like how did you form your thesis effectively? Uh, that's a great question, Owen. As you say, you know, retailing, it's a competitive and a tough industry. And Tractor Supply, they're very aware that most of what they sell customers can find elsewhere. So they can go and buy pet food from a pet store or fencing from Home Depot or workwear from Walmart. But uh, they need to give customers a good choice, uh, a good reason to shop there. So what are the ingredients for success? I'd say firstly, you're right that scale really matters. Uh, you know, they have the scale and resources to invest in a in a better product assortment, in supply chain and e-commerce, especially relative to their small mum and pop competitors. A good example of that is they work with suppliers to create products based on customer feedback that are exclusive to tractor supply. And about a third of what they sell, you cannot find elsewhere, including on Amazon. I'd say secondly, it comes back to their culture, just this strong customer-centric culture. Uh, They're really renowned for exceptional customer service. Uh, it was a retail survey, I think, in 2019 that rated Tractor Supply as having the second highest customer satisfaction among all US retailers after only Costco. Uh, and that's also uh, a portfolio holding for us, actually. <laughs> this is a similar theme. <laughs> that's right. And that really comes down to um, to the staff and the culture. So staff, they're empowered to do whatever it takes to keep customers happy. Uh, you know, they create these deep and enduring relationships with customers and uh, it, it's really difficult to replicate that as, as a bigger retailer. And I think a really good proof point of their success is that, uh, you know, Home Depot and Walmart, which are two massive and well-respected US retailers, they tried entering the rural store market over 30 years ago, um, but they withdrew in, in pretty short order. So it's a, it's a really good proof point for what, what a high quality business they've built. How about then, you know, so that's, I guess, the the monsters that are like the physical monsters in terms of, you know, Walmart's a behemoth in retailing. But how about like the the digital monsters, the the ones that kind of, you know, are changing the rules for a lot of the way we purchase. Um, so I'm talking about like the Amazons of the world, Ebay's, all of these, you know, digital platforms where you can, you can buy or sell. How are they impacting tractor supply? Yeah, that's a good question, Owen. It's the elephant in the room with, with any retailer at the moment, isn't it? Mm, uh, how it is. well they respond to, to e-commerce. I think to start with, a lot of what tractor supplies sell is really bulky and not economic to deliver directly to customers. So if you think of fencing or a big bale of hay or, or feed, and 80% of the orders the tractor supply receive online, people actually pick up in the store. And while they're in the store, they make other purchases as well. So that's probably the first thing. As I said, a third of what they sell you can't find elsewhere. Um, so customers really value that product assortment. Uh, and then the business itself has invested a lot in its e-commerce and its supply chain. So the same survey that I referenced before, it found that Tractor Supply actually had the top online shopping experience of all retailers in 2019, even above Amazon. Wow, really? 
And, uh, you know, it's online store, it's mobile app, it's digital marketing, it's, it's allowed them to tap into a, a wider range of customers, you know, younger millennials and women. Uh, and obviously, at the same time, their their smaller competitors just don't have the same resources to in- invest. Mm. How about then? I guess one of the key drivers, it seems, of truck supply. Like if we look at it, it's not like you're not saying things like, "Oh, you know, they've got exceptional gross margins or net profit margins." You're not focusing on kind of those transient things, and instead, you're focusing on all like kind of the richer qualitative features, like the way the culture is, who they're serving and how they align with their customers and how they invest kind of ahead of the curve for, you know, whether it's online or whether it's a product lineup or whatever, and the way the stores are designed, who's running the business and how do you, how did you assess management? Um, I think this is a really important question for a business like this, because that kind of seems like a competitive, that's the competitive advantage here. Yeah, it is. It is, Owen. You're right. On the margin front, even though they've built such a strong market position, they're, they're not capitalizing on that. So their philosophy is always to offer customers everyday low price. We don't want to give them any reason not to come into our store. So even though they're 10 times larger than their nearest competitor, they still price uh, very attractively. And in terms of management, I think I'd start with how the business is set up. So they have 1,900 stores and decision-making is very decentralized. So store managers have almost full accountability to run their own business and to hire their own people, you know, uh, work out what, what they want to stock. So that's that's probably where it all starts. I mean, they're the ones talking to the customer every day and they're empowered to do what it takes. And then if you go up to the executive level, there's a lot of tenure and experience. I think they're on their fourth CEO in 30 years uh, and each of them have done a great job of preserving but also adding to the unique culture. And I'll give you an example of that. Their current CEO who joined last year, he was actually the first external CEO they've ever hired. And uh, he was previously at eBay and Home Depot. And we're really excited about some of the changes uh, he's making to the store layout. And an example of that is they asked their customers, what would you like to buy from us that we don't sell today? And the number one answer was lawn and garden. You know, if you think back to your favorite example of Bunnings, uh, you know, they've got this massive lawn and garden center. And uh, it turns out that most tractor supply stores, they have this area outside uh, to the side of the store that's used mostly for storage today. And that area is just as large as the entire inside footprint of the store. And he's converting that into a lawn and garden center. And if he can improve the sales productivity of that area to anywhere near the rest of the store, uh, that could be a meaningful driver of of future sales growth, but also uh, satisfying another customer need. So it's a great attempt, example of just just the long-term mindset and the customer centricity that they run the business with. It's such a simple way to expand the business beyond what it's already doing, right? It, it just makes so much sense. Yes. Yeah, I think you said that to me, something similar to me last time. They also have, you know, those car parks that they have kind of space in the car parks. Like I, I just picture a Bunnings car park, very similar. That's really interesting. And, and only four CEOs in 30 years uh, and first external hire. How do you how do you personally, Jillian, how do you think about that? Like just in terms of internal versus external? Like it's his this person seems like the right person for the job. It's something the company itself thought about very deeply. Uh, you know, it's always promoted from within and they have a very deep bench of executives, um, you know, store managers and uh, merchandising managers and operation officers uh, that they could have promoted into that role. In this instance, I think they really did the right thing and they wanted to bring someone in just to take a fresh perspective on the stores in much in the same way that 
at Aorist, we actually rotate coverage of the companies we cover every three years just to get a new perspective on the business. And they wanted to bring in someone with uh, an e-commerce background. Obviously, times are changing. They've done a great job of adapting to technological changes, but I think bringing in that new perspective was was very valuable to the business. And uh, he'd worked at Home Depot for a long time, which is really considered a best-in-class retailer in the U.S., uh, and you can see already he's bringing in some some great ideas uh, and sort of a breath of a breath of life into the business uh, and excitement. But at the same time, he's done a great job of preserving what was there. So he's really elevated the executives that were already at the business into the executive board. And um, you know he's very conscious of preserving that unique culture. It's clear just from talking with you about this one company. Uh, we've managed to talk only 20 minutes on one company and how much you know about it. So I think that goes back to the original point about how long it takes you to push an idea through from like the universe down through the through the rest of the team and into the portfolio. I, I might um, ask you one final question on Tractor Supply, if I may, Delian, which is basically like going forward, how are you and the team monitoring its success? Like are there any particular things that you're looking to see? You know, is there anything you don't want to see, but, you know, if we invert the logic? Anything in particular? Uh, that's that's a really thought-provoking question. I think uh, obviously with any business we look at, there's an ongoing level of research. So we'll keep up a dialogue with investor relations and follow all their results and their uh, transcripts of conferences that they present at. And what are we looking for in doing that? We're always looking to test our thesis. So all the things I just mentioned to you about what makes Tractor Supply special, that scale matters in this industry, uh, that they have a great e-commerce offering. Uh, you know, we're always looking to test if that's the case. So any change uh, from what we've already expected is is something that be a bit of a red light for us. And then, as I mentioned, for this business, culture is really important. Uh, so just making sure that the new CEO can, uh, you know, preserve that culture, take care of its staff, and then they'll do right by their customers. More specifically, in the next few years, we want to make sure that any changes they're making to the store layout uh, is, you know, tracking to plan and, um, you know, obviously additive to the customer experience, not not detractive. Uh, but everything we've seen so far and it's been in the role now for 18 months has been very promising. Mm, fantastic. So this is, um, for anyone that wants to keep up with this company, uh, it's called Tractor Supply. And I know that the ARS team publish you know, monthly reports. You can see all the portfolio holdings on the website, which I'll put links to in the show notes. Also, I know there's, there's short write-ups on the companies as well. And if you want to learn more about Delian, you can, you can find he's, he's got a short video on the ARS website, which introduces <laughs> you to himself. He's, he's, you can't see him right now, but he's smiling. I don't know if that's a cringe. Um, Those are overdue or redo, uh, <laughs> Owen. <laughs> but um, no, mate, I, I really appreciate your time coming on the show today, introducing yourself and, and bring a really interesting idea to the table. I think, you know, having chatted to Stephen over the years, I think it's it's always refreshing to talk to anyone from Aorus because it's just so, you know, it's, it's simple and elegant in its design and in terms of the way you guys invest. So I really appreciate your time on the show today, Delian. Thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed my time here. It's a pleasure, Owen. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, 
and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.